You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's a really privileged to be here today. Um, David, I know, would love to preach this morning. Um, he's full of fire, waiting to get back in the saddle. And he's preaching through on a series um, in James. Uh, anyone can remember what the main theme of that is? Faith does, all right? And so David's been preaching a really um, powerful uh, season that, or message that basically says, um, and I'm going to paraphrase it in my own words, we don't do to become, but now that we are, we do. In other words, the faith in us has an expression, okay? And so this morning, I'm going to interrupt that flow and kind of get back to a, a subject that I think is, is probably really pertinent for Doxa Church, where Doxa Church is at this point in time. Um, we've grown to, we just hitting the 100 number, and um, there's a whole you know, massive opportunity for growth that is in the season ahead. Um, and, and it's probably worthwhile just to look at what is the DNA of the church, what is the makeup of the church, what is the biblical pattern of church, what did Jesus have in mind when he talked about his church. And so if you'll allow me to, I'm gonna, with all my South African accent and every <laughs> other awkwardness little thing that I could bring through, I'm going to try and share what the Lord has um, laid in my heart concerning this radical, important subject of the local church. Um, so, so maybe I can share some context before I go straight into the preach. One of the things which, oh, maybe I need to do a little bit of introduction. Okay, so the reason for the accent is uh, we come from way south, way more south than South Carolina. <laughs> we actually come from South Africa, yeah. So Lynn and I have been here almost 10 months, um, and we came from <laughs> quite, a, quite a large church movement called 412, um, and um, a local church called Joshua Generation. It was led a church for eight years, kind of prior, prior to coming to the U.S., and had a picture of what we think the Lord is wanting to do right here in the United States. So we're very excited to be here. One of the things that we encountered when we were in, in Africa, in South Africa, is that there's a very popular thing that guys do. They'll put your tent on a field, and we'll have what we call a revival meeting. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a tent meeting of that nature. Okay, so very dynamic, very alive, and um, many people would get saved. We'd see like 15 people, 30 people, sometimes many more than that come to faith in those meetings. Um, and then one day I was driving past one of the fields, where we'd had one of those meetings. And the field was empty. In fact, you couldn't see anybody anywhere. And um, the Lord dropped into my spirit just this picture that the kingdom of heaven, the church, is not a one-time event. Okay? There's something about the local church that is important for us as the church to take territory. We need to occupy the territory. We need to exercise the reign and the rule of the kingdom of heaven in such a way that communities are impacted. And so at that time, I really believe I got a picture or a revelation of the importance of the church. Because see, without the local church, we don't get to keep the territory. All right. So the practice here at Doc says we have these three points and we fill in the the little points are, um, my style of preaching usually is quite different. I'm a very much more topical preacher as opposed to expository. So, so I'm going to give you the titles right in the beginning, 
And then we're going to speak into them just in case I don't get to all of them. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're going to speak about the foundation of the church. Whose idea was it? Okay. And what did Jesus have in mind? So first one there, that line, that little missing word, the foundation of the church. The second one is going to talk a little bit into the activity of the church. What did we see in the New Testament church? What, was, what were the guys busy with and, and how was the expression of the church impacting the area around them? And then the third um, item is going to be the, traje- the trajectory of the church. In other words, we start somewhere, but we're on a journey. There's something that is in Christ that is bigger than where you start off. Okay, so look a little bit at the trajectory, and um, I guess I'll probably spend a bit more time on the foundation. So one of the things I learned as a South African in the United States is that some of the words that I know mean different things in different places. (laughs) Okay, and um, I try to think of the the most innocent ones that I could come up with, and um, so, so two of them, one is... When we were living in Ohio for a short period of time, Lynn had a garage sale. We were actually in the process of moving to South Carolina at that point, many years ago. And uh, so she was selling, I think it was a washing machine or a dryer. I can't remember which one it was. And so that one gentleman was really interested in this washing machine. And, uh, and, and so he asked Lynn to get hold of him if it didn't get sold because he wanted to pay a low price on what she was wanting. And she said, yeah, no problem. I'll give you a tinkle when, uh, you know, after the tinkle. <laughs> And like the guy went red, and, and Lynn's friend started laughing, and he's like, what, what do you mean? You see, in South Africa, to give someone a tickle means you give them a call on the telephone. But, but yeah, it means you probably take a pee. You know? <laughs> so, so words mean different things. Another, another word that's quite interesting, in South Africa, we have this very common um, phrase. We say, um, I'm going to do it now, now. So, so, so what I learned in the United States, I'm going to do it now, now. It's, it's, it's a now. It's immediately. It's like it's going to happen quite soon. In South Africa, that means, look, I'm busy. I'll get to it, you know. I'll do it now, now. In fact, it may not even be today. Maybe it's tomorrow. But there's no sense of immediacy. Okay, so words are important. So when it comes to Scripture, church is one of those words. Okay? So if I speak about the church... Um, depending on your context, your background, where you've grown up, um, it's going to mean different things to different people. And if you're an unbeliever, probably the first thing you're going to do is going to head to Google and you're going to say, what does the word church mean? Okay. And uh, if you do that, it'll say it's a place or a building where people come to worship. That's what Google will say, something to that effect. Right? And I know Doxa Church, you guys got the inside story here. You probably got a bigger revelation of that. But I want to dig a bit in, deeper into what that really means. And so, and I'm not a Greek scholar. And so um, you'd have to check me out on this. Go and investigate for yourself. But the word church in the Greek translation is the word ekklesia. Okay? So sometimes um, in translation, people will transliterate a word. So Jesus is Jesus. And Christ is Christ, you know, but actually Jesus is Josh, Yeshua, and, you know, Christ means anointed one or Messiah, but we translate it in a certain way. So Ecclesia got translated as church. But you see, for the people in the time of Jesus, the word Ecclesia had a whole different connotation to what we have today. So I'm going to read some of it. Um, and then we're going to go into the, the Bible passage I want to cover, but I want you to understand the word 
before we read the passage so you can kind of see the picture or the vision maybe that Jesus had when he spoke about the church. And so when we, when we look at um, the Bible, the Bible never ever uses ecclesia um, to refer to a place of worship. In Greek or the ancient Greek, it, it really in its most fundamental meaning means a gathering of those summoned. Okay, And the idea was this, it was like a, a picture um, in those days, they had many city-states, um, and so in ancient Greece, there, there would have been cities that were, in a sense, states, and the ecclesia were the called-out ones who were called to come together to decide on matters of war, to decide on matters of public interest, and even to ostracize someone. Okay, so the word ostracize kind of has its root there. You could actually banish someone from a city-state for 10 years. Okay? So, so the role of the ecclesia... Probably the closest word in English today would almost be like the municipality. The ones who come together, they have a discussion, they get the lowdown on how we're going to move forward, and then they move back into their areas of influence, and they execute on that. Okay? That's the ecclesia. So, and, and this could be quite a large grouping of people, sometimes um, several thousand. The, the Romans kind of perfected it. They took the whole idea to a, a new level. It's different from the word apostle or postulus where there's a representative from a kingdom that's going to a territory that's about to be influenced by a king. The Ecclesia speaks about the home city, the place where the rule and the reign of the city is taking place. And there's an influence that um, these men or these people have in their local um, area. Okay, so can, can you see that? So it's municipality, it's a grouping of people, and so... We're going to jump now to Matthew 16, and we'll pick it up from, from verse 13. So just a little bit of context. What happens in Matthew 16, right in the beginning of chapter 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're saying, like, like, who are you? Who do you think you are doing all of these things? You know, like, give us a sign, then we'll believe. And then Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he says, like, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, Okay. There's something about their mindset. There's something about their attitude. There's something about the way that they bring it across, which, which is poisonous to the kingdom of heaven. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And then, then he starts off here in verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and he said, you are blessed, Simon of Jonah, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bound on, bound on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. So just want to step back here. So step one out of this passage, something about the church. It starts with the revelation. Doesn't start with a like an intellectual accent that, you know, oh now work this out. I, I know who you are. There's a revelation that comes at its very source from the heart of the Father. Okay? 
And the revelation is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the ruler of the kingdom of heaven, and he has now come. Okay, he's the son of God. And it's kind of like the fundamental, how can you say, um, PowerPoint of the ignition of the church is a revelation of who Jesus is. And so you and I have to have that revelation. It can't be part of our culture. It can't be, I mean, Jesus had done many things up to that point, and there were many miracles and signs and things that were happening, and no one could explain it. Okay? But just the revelation, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And so for you and I, that needs to be the starting point as well. Second part is, um, if you look at the context, Jesus says, and it's interesting, because Simon gets a new name, Peter. Okay? And then Jesus says, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. So Jesus doesn't have an idea of a church with a little steeple. He doesn't even have an idea of maybe a grouping of people coming together and singing Kumbaya. You know, he just doesn't have that picture. He has the picture of these are the ones who will usher in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, go and look at Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10, and you'll see he sent out the 12. And then he sent out the 72. So Jesus had this pattern of discipleship where he would teach, and then he would send them out to do. And kind of look at the instructions that were given to the 12 and the 72. They are pretty wild compared to where most churches are. Okay, um, And so th there's this other um, contrasting picture that speaks about the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against the kingdom of heaven or not prevail against my church. And you see, gates in those times were places where business was done. The gates were where decisions were taken. It's where the elders sat and the business of the city was taken care of. And so what he's saying is the authority and the rule and the influence of hell will not overcome my ecclesia. Because there's something in the ecclesia that has more authority, it has more power. It's not from this world. It has its origin in the Father. And so as you begin to look at that, you, you sort of think, wow, you Lord. Actually, this church thing is, is way bigger than what I thought. It's interesting that he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And so when you speak of keys, you'll understand that keys are given to a person who has authority or ownership or stewardship of something that's valuable, of something that is powerful. Okay? And so the keys mean that there's a release or a locking up of everything that you see in heaven that could be influenced by the church on earth. And so there's awesome authority that is given to the ecclesia, to the church. Um, so I hope you're getting the picture that it's not just about Peter. There's something that Jesus wants to build. There's something called his church the Eglisea, that will have such a radical influence on culture, on society, on the place where we live, that the pattern and the rule and the reign of the kingdom is manifested for everyone to see. Are you excited? I'm excited. Sure, come on. Anyway, right. So, so there are so many different facets and dimensions to this, I guess, we could probably do the whole preach just on this area, but I, I want to give you the 30,000-foot view. So this is the foundation of the church. Wasn't that somebody came up with a good idea? Um, Jesus had it in mind. This is the intent that Jesus has. It's the reason he's on the earth um, to establish something, and he's establishing his church. 
He takes it to another whole level, and we'll get a, a little bit into that in the, tra- the trajectory. I don't know why I'm like, almost like getting stuck on the right. Trajectory. Okay, trajectory. Okay. All right. So let's look at the activity of the church. Um, there are many places we could go, um, but I think Acts 2.42 probably summarizes it best. So there's two passages that I'm going to focus on. If you could write these down. Read the passages before and after them to get the context. But Acts 2.42 and Ephesians 4.12. These, I think, are key pointers to um, the purpose and the relevance and the activity of the church. Um, And think about this, that as we read this, um, I've painted a picture to you that there's a coming together. There's there's a gathering where, in a sense, there are instructions, there are um, directions, there are strategies which are given to a body of people to be then disseminated through the area that they are living in. And so what does that look like practically? Um, If we go to Acts 2.42, we'll pick it up. And so before I do that, maybe the context here is you have a group of guys and ladies that have been with Jesus for three and a half years, okay? They didn't go to seminary. They were taught by God, by the Word of God made flesh. Um. They saw him rise from a grave. They saw him dead on a cross. They saw him stand up alive from a grave. And for 40 days, they witness that Jesus is alive. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, and, but he says, you wait until you receive the promise of the Father. Check it out, Acts chapter 1, I think it is. Okay. And so these people who are, in a sense, equipped, they, they've actually done the practical exercises. They've been into the cities to declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yet Jesus says, I'm going because unless I go, the Spirit of God won't come. And when He comes, then you'll begin to declare all the things that I've taught you. And so um, there are a lot of people that are there on the day of Pentecost, at least 3,000 of them, because you read in Acts chapter 22, or Acts chapter 2, that 3,000 people come to faith in one day. So Peter who was called Simon, who ran away when Jesus was arrested and denied him three times. Something happens between Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 where he literally becomes a rock, no longer afraid of what men think, and preaches a message with great boldness that 3,000 men are cut to the heart, and they say, what must we do to be saved? Okay, So none of them have the New Testament. In fact, it's going to be at least 200 or 300 years before the letters that form the New Testament are actually collected together. But there's something that happens in their hearts. There's something that happens that God has planted there that radically transforms how they live life. And I'll pick it up in verse 42. It goes like this. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. How many things? Apostles' teaching or doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So it seems, if, as, as you read this passage, and I'll read the rest of it, um, they're almost like four pillars that are hallmarks of the infant church, the beginning of the church, that was powerful enough to wrest the rule and the reign of the Roman Empire, not with a sword, but by the Word of God, and radically transform culture. Okay? And they were doing four simple things. 
devoting. So that word devoting is not like, oh, it's Wednesday. I suppose I better go to community. What's Sunday? Oh, you know, I wonder if the tornado's in the way. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like they were devoted. It's like something radical is going to have to happen to stop me from getting to that place where I'm gathering together, where I'm part of the ecclesia, where there's something that the Spirit of God is doing, something that Jesus is doing that will send me out on mission for the week ahead. Powerful picture, right? Okay. So how, how many of those do we do well? I think we're probably really good at fellowship. The communities, if you're connected to a community, Doxa Church is doing well in that area. Okay. We, we're starting to head into the territory of prayer. Half past nine before the meetings, guys are getting together to pray. But I believe maybe that's one of the muscles that's a little bit weak. We, we probably need to dive deeper into that. And we haven't broken bread since we've been here for the last, I don't know, how many months. But, but, but that's an area which is one of the pillars of what's in the church, the early church. And then the other one is um, the apostles' doctrine or teaching. So David is a very good expository preacher. Teaches from the word, so the message you're getting is accurate. It's according to the um, the doctrine that you see um, in scripture. So we're probably doing quite quite well in that area. Although there are even more dy- uh, dynamics to what constitutes apostles' teaching or doctrine. Okay, so does that give you a feel for as a church, like where we at? Yeah, <laughs> because we poised now. The DNA that we put into the church now at 100 is going to affect when it gets to 300 or 1,000 or we multiply to other churches. So we've got to know who we are. We've got, to be, we've got to be doing what they did so that God can achieve what He achieved through them in the early church. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so we, aren't, we, aren't this, we haven't arrived because we're in the 21st century. It's not that we're doing things better. In fact, maybe in the 21st century, the church is at an all-time low in terms of its influence. Okay, so the stats say that if you want to change culture, you probably have to effectively reach at least 13 or 14% of the local community. Okay, not with a religious form, but with a life that flows from God to be a people that are radically set on fire. I mean, you're living for Him. Your focus is for Him. The job that you might have, well, that's tent making. You know, that's secondary. Eternity is much longer than the career I have in these 70 or 80 years that I have right now. Okay? And so there has to be an eternal perspective. There has to be, Jesus, this is the Eglisea. What is it that you want to accomplish? And may I submit to you that the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, are working against the Eglisea. They don't want anyone to be saved. Okay? And so there really is literally a spiritual war going on for the souls of men. And there is no plan B. The church is it. So I'll read read the the whole passage. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone, and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house and sharing their food with glad and humble hearts. So I'm not going to unpack those particular scriptures there, except to say this, that what you read there is countercultural to our time. Okay? It doesn't fit in with the pattern of selfishness and self. It's totally contrary to what you would see in the world today. 
Um, but there's a work in the, in the Holy Spirit. And, and please don't read into that any form of socialism. The Lord has made every one of you stewards of what he's put in your hand. You're responsible for stewarding well what God has put in your hand. Okay? But there's an attitude of generosity that was found among the early believers that was very striking. There was not one that had need amongst them. I want to jump now to um, Ephesians chapter 4. And, and so what we've got is we've got the huddle. We've got the coming together. Um, this is what it looked like in the early church. This is, this is what the gathering of the ecclesia looked like. And then, um, and, and I think probably this is a, a really key passage for, for Doxa Church to come down to who does the work of the ministry. And I think Ben alluded to it. David is running himself ragged, okay? Trying to do counseling, ministry, preaching. He's doing a lot. Um, but it was never meant to be a one-man or two-man or three-man team. There's something that we see in Scripture concerning the Eglisea that is, is quite radical. And I'll pick it up from verse 11, quite a well-known verse in some circles. It was he, speaking of Christ, who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, that is, to build up the body of Christ. To equip who? You guys got to be much more convincing there. To, to equip who? You and I, okay? You and I to do the work of the ministry. Can you imagine a church 100% activated, 100 people on fire for Jesus? Every day that they go out, they're intentional about what they say. They're looking to see where God wants to work. They're declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They, 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 they have the keys of the kingdom, every resource that is necessary to usher in the presence of the Lord. Awesome. Whoops. Right, thank you. So, thank you. How did you know I was so thirsty? <laughs> I am sweating. Okay. All right, so I'm, I'm going to read the, the rest of that passage because there is tied into that um, a trajectory. But I want you to see it's very similar to the idea of Ecclesia that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 16. In other words, there's a coming together where the saints are in community, they, they're praying together, they're in fellowship. Um, they breaking bread, they submitting to the teaching that speaks of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and the, the hope of eternal life that is in him. And then they are going out to do the work of the ministry. And so the question would be, if we called ourselves a healthy church, where would we put ourselves? Are we going out to do the work of the ministry? Or are we just fitting in with the bare minimum? Okay, so, so what I would submit to you is like, did Jesus do the bare minimum? Or did he give it all? Okay, if you read Acts 2.42 and what the believers in the early church did, they made it all available. You know? So there's, there's, there's this total sold-outness to Jesus and his kingdom. There's, there's, there's no middle ground. There's no, there's no lukewarm. There's no being in the middle. You're either totally for him or actually you're totally against him. He doesn't know what to do with the lukewarm. Okay, except if you read in Revelation, he says, you know, oh, Actually, that kind of vomit out. So, so one of the checks, he's like, yo, am I lukewarm? What, what, what would Jesus classify me as? Would he say I'm on fire for him? Or am I lukewarm? Okay. Sorry, that, that came across heavy, didn't it? Okay. It's meant to be an exhortation. It's like, man, I want to be in the place where I sense his presence, where I'm connected to him, where I'm connected to fellow believers 
and we're pushing into the common goal of um, moving the church forward and his kingdom coming. Amen? Amen. Okay. Right, you can come to me afterwards if you thought any of that was heavy. Okay. <laughs> all right, verse 13. And this is part of the trajectory. Until we all attain, how many? All attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So I'm not going to preach into that now, but just that line there is probably worth a good few preaches. What does it mean to attain to the full measure of the stature of Christ? Okay, I'm like, I think I've, I've just started. Like I'm, I'm looking up and I'm saying, Jesus, you're so awesome. You know, like, you changed culture. You probably made a lot of people mad, but you, you kind of ushered in a non-religious view that showed that God is kind, that He's full of love, but, but He's not weak. There's, there's power that flows from His throne. There's life that flows from His throne. Wherever He goes, thing, you know, what, what is broken comes whole. Um, even what's dead comes to life. And so there's something about the nature of the kingdom that is completely opposite to the natural order of things that we see. And, and I want to be connected to him in that way. I want to be useful in his hand in that way. And I'm trusting that you would want to be as well. And so the full measure of Christ, the full stature of Christ. So we're no longer to be children. Okay, Tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching and by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. From him, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament as each one does its part and the body grows in love. Can I submit to you that, that what, what Paul is doing is he's taking the concept and the idea of Eglisia and he's making it way tighter than just a grouping of people. Now we connect it to the head, which is Christ. Every part. So, so it's like, you know, you know, when I go for a walk to the door, I don't hear my feet saying, no. Yeah. I, every part of me, just like the head decides and the body follows. Isn't that how it is? Okay. In the church today, may I submit that it's not like that. Okay, I'm not speaking of Doxa Church. I'm speaking about the church in general. Every man has decided for himself an image of what he thinks the church should be. And he's decided in rebellion to go his own way. And so I believe there's a reformation that God is wanting to do in terms of our mindset concerning the church. There's one head, and his name is Jesus. And the more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend in fellowship, the more time we spend dedicating ourselves to what was the apostles' doctrine, the closer we're knit together, the more clearly we hear what the head is saying to the church. Amen? So there's one more passage that I'd like us to, to have a look at to um, just cement this idea. And we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Okay, so I'll read it from verse 15. and says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him. 
Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of the immense strength, the power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has put all things under Christ's feet, and he gave him to the church as head of all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is his body. The church is his body. So I think, I think sometimes we concentrate more on the idea or the concept of as, as us being the church, the bride of Christ. And, and there's truth in that because that is also part of one of the many facets and dimensions of what it means to be in Christ. But this picture of the body, man, it's a powerful picture. It's kind of like, you know, if we are his body and all things are being put under his feet, guess what's being put under the feet of the church? All things. And so maybe one of the mindsets that we've, we've allowed ourselves to get into is like, we kind of separate secular and church. You know, in our minds, we kind of make that. And maybe that's something in the American Constitution, separation of, anyway, I don't know how that all works. Okay. But, but can I submit to you that there's no aspect of life that is secular? God's in all things. Okay. And so we can't separate him from our school life. We can't separate him from college. We can't separate him from our marriage. We can't separate him from, from the workplace. Actually, he's, he's in all of that. And he's the head and we the body. And so the influence of the church ought to actually permeate every facet of modern day life. The influence and the power and the keys that have been given to the church have the capacity to transform society. See, politicians can't do it. Motivational speakers can't do it. But Jesus can change a nation. Okay? And so I, I believe we need to get a, whew, just a, and, and not that I've painted the whole picture of what the church really is. I've, I've just tried to stretch you a little bit so that you, you understand. It's not the building. It's not even just a, people, a few people getting together and just feeling the warm and fuzzy on a Sunday morning. It is the body of Christ. It is the interface of the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness. And the authority that is given to the church is greater than that which sits in the gates of Hades. There's life in Jesus. There's no life anywhere else. And so I kind of wrote down a, a few little things here. Um, so I said, Lord, what kind of keeps us as people or churches unhealthy? And these three things are not necessarily doxa, but I think maybe they can, can be some of us or in churches around us. And the first one I wrote down is analysis paralysis. Okay. We read the word so much. And we're trying to work out all the dimensions and it's all happening up here. But we're not hearing from him who's even higher than up here and working it out in our hearts. Okay. You don't necessarily need to understand how Jesus does everything to be obedient to him, okay? So 
maybe we need to stop asking why and start saying, Lord, what next? Amen? Second one is doing to become. And so I see this many times. <sighs> Human beings by their nature have intellect. We can understand the concepts that are taught in the Bible. And we have the capacity to try and live those things out as a work of the flesh. So we are doing to become what we think Jesus wants us to be. Can I submit to you that Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, you putting your faith in Him, makes you a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And in a sense, if you could have done it as the old man, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. But now that He has, now that the new nature is found in you, begin to rely on what Jesus provides. The resources of the kingdom of heaven, the keys that have been given to you, that you begin to live a kingdom life according to the pattern of faith that is put into action. Amen? So we become those who do because we are. We don't do to become. And then the other one I put there is independent and rebellious nature. And I think most human beings, include myself in that, by nature we are rebellious. We are independent. And in fact, culture today tells us it's all about me, self. And in fact, most worship songs, if you listen to them, it's about what Jesus has done for me and how good I am. And like, you know, he saved. And so the focus is me. Okay? The kingdom of heaven did not come as much as God loved me and he loved you and he's redeemed us. It's about his kingdom. It's about Jesus. It's about something that is eternal, that lasts beyond the now. Okay? And, and sometimes we'll go through stuff in this life. But you've got to have a vision that sees beyond the grave, that sees eternity. And so, independent spirit, rebellion against God. I think maybe even there's room for repentance in every one of our lives in that regard. And so, just to summarize, in these times, I believe the Holy Spirit is highlighting the word eglesia, the New Testament church. And not just church as a word, but what is a healthy church? What is a strong church? You know, you know the, the seven letters to churches in, in Revelation, only two of them were positive. And so it does well to kind of do the litmus test, the heart check, see what does God think of us as a church? Because we want to be a church that's alive in His hand. We're going to be the kind of church that you read about in, in Acts chapter 2 that radically changes the world around them because of who He is and what He's done in our hearts. And so God's plan for humanity to be saved and translated from the kingdom of darkness and death where people perish to the kingdom of light and eternal life where Christ reigns, the delivery mechanism and the rule and reign is the church. You are the church. Doxa Church, I say to you in the name of Jesus, arise and take your place. Can I ask you to stand as we just pray into this and maybe the worship guys can come up. Your Lord Jesus, in three and a half years, you turned the world upside down. They thought they killed you on the cross, but you went there willingly. And you took the punishment that was due to every one of us. 
and you carried it. So now there's no reason that any man should perish because of his sins, for Christ has carried it. But you stood up from that grave, Lord, and you gave us hope that each one of us can walk into eternal life. And so right now, Lord, we want to confess that we are powerless to walk into this eternal life apart from you. That our sin, Lord, causes the soul of man to perish. And so right now, fresh Lord Jesus, we want we to confirm our faith in you. And we want to be part of your eglisia, your church, with you as the head. And we'd be a church on mission for your glory. And I'm, I think this morning there are probably some of us, yeah, you, you've maybe been to church many times. Maybe in your head you've even made the confession of faith. But there's an opportunity this morning for you to lay everything down, to count all things lost compared to the awesomeness of knowing Christ as the Son of God, the one who shed His blood for your life. And you want to make Him the Lord of your life this morning. You want to live flat out for Him, not in the fence anymore, not lukewarm, but totally sold out to Him. If you're here this morning, you feel the Holy Spirit just saying, oh, I'm not in that place. Feeling your heart right now that God's calling you. The people that can pray with you. Um, to my left, I think that will be your right. Um, got it. Here and there. So he'll, he'll pray with you. But I, I want to encourage you. You know, Jesus died publicly. Didn't die in secret. He died in a public place, exposed on a hill. And in a sense, we need to be bold. If we're in the place where we need to make this confession of faith, we should not deny Him, even in a public assembly. We should come out and say, hey, I want to put my trust in Him. So, so right now, if there's, is there anyone here that's feeling, yeah, the Lord wants to translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Angels rejoice at this moment, if there's anyone. Okay, and then I want to speak about a second group. And, and I believe this is where most of us are at. We are the church, but our concept of the church has been fuzzy. It's been not sharply defined. And we are in the habit of doing what we think is right. But we've not drawn in tightly as the Eglisea, received instructions from the commander-in-chief, and been intentional about how we live the week ahead in the power of the Holy Spirit and full of the Word of God. If you feel, man, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe I'm on number one and you know, that I need to get to number 10 in terms of a scale. You feel like, God, yo, I, I, I wanna begin this journey. I'm not gonna ask you to, to leave your seat, but I'm gonna ask you to take your hand and place it on your heart. Lord Jesus, you know who your called out ones are. So Father, I pray right now, Lord, by your Spirit, begin to transform these hearts that we'd be on fire for you, Jesus. Lord, we claim that word where you say that in the Old Testament, the, the heart of man is deceitful above all things, but that you will give us a new heart. 
And so right now, Lord, we pray that our hearts will be transformed, our minds will be renewed, that we can prove what is the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of the Father. So right now, Jesus, come and work in us. Make us zealous for your name, Lord. Help us to be salt and light to change the areas that you've placed us in. That revival will come to this city. That this city would be known as a place where the throne of Jesus has been established. So right now, Jesus, come and have your way. Come and have your way. Then I do want to pray also, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And um, Jesus said that if anyone's sick amongst you, you should come to the elders and they'll pray for you. They'll anoint you. Um, and so I'll leave that for the community groups or the life groups, that you would do that in the life groups. But I'm, I'm going to ask right now that by faith, if, you, if, they, if you're suffering from any infirmity, if there's a spirit of fear in you right now, anxiety, or if there's any physical affliction in your flesh, that right now, Lord Jesus, you send 12 people into the cities ahead of you where you were about to go. And then you send 72. And all kinds of things happen. And so right now, Lord, I pray that these infirmities are bound in the name of Jesus. That your resurrection life touch every person that is in need right now. Just even like I can just even feel maybe there's sometimes heaviness or depression. Like, Lord, that in your presence is fullness of joy. So right now, Lord, we speak to every heart in the name of Jesus. Be strengthened be made whole. Thank you, Jesus, that you do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or imagine. Amen. Okay, church. You are the ecclesia. Okay. I hope as you head out into the week that you'll be challenged, that you'll read through the passages that we've referred to, and that you allow the Word of God to transform the very essence of who you are and how you see the church. Amen. You give life. You are love.